You're listening to The Science of Storytelling, presented by Pressboard, a show about marketing, media, and the people making it happen. Your host is Jared Grimm. On today's Science of Storytelling episode, I'm chatting with Annie Carroll, Head of Studios and General Manager for Apartment Therapy and The Kitchen. We're going to discuss how she landed an internship for the real world on MTV in a bathroom lineup, building a personal sizzle reel, and creating a choose-your-own-adventure for a very cool Target campaign. If you like this episode, please leave us a comment and let me know what you think. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss a single episode. Now, please enjoy the show. Annie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited to have you here. I am a big fan of apartment therapy and the kitchen, specifically the kitchen. I think of myself as uh, a very amateur home chef. I think I just enjoy it. So I feel like there's two types of people when it comes to recipes, mm-hmm. people that change the recipe and people that don't change the recipe. I'm a don't change the recipe person. And uh, I'm the person I look at the comments and I see that someone changed something and they're like, oh, I, I switched this and it kind of, it bugs me a bit. I don't know why, but I feel like there's only two types of people, people that change recipes and people that don't change recipes. That's pretty accurate, actually. I think there that can go for another, you know, a different metaphor in life, people who do change recipes and people who don't. Maybe there is. Maybe there is something deeper. I'll have to check with, uh, check with my therapist and see if this is a deep-seated <laughs> issue I have somewhere. So you are the head of studios and general manager for apartment therapy and the kitchen. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that role. And then I want to find out how you ended up in this role over your career path. But first, let's touch on what that role means and what apartment therapy and the kitchen are. Yes. Um, So in my role right now as head of studios, I oversee three different departments. One is video. One is art, which is photography, graphics, illustration, and then our creative studio, which is our branded studio. Um, This all falls under our studio, and it was formed about two years ago. Okay. And was this the position you knew you were going to have since you were a kid? Did you always know that this was the job, or did your path you know, have some bumps along the way or changes? Definitely some changes. I mean, if somebody had told me when I was 12 that this is what I would be doing, I would be thrilled um, to be head of a studio. Uh, Obviously not one of the bigger studios, but head of a studio. Um, When I was 12, I watched my first Academy Awards, and it was when Steven Spielberg won his Oscar, his first one for Schindler's List. And then the next day, my English teacher had us do a report on somebody we admired, And we went to the library and I saw a book on Steven Spielberg and I read it and I said, this is what I want to do. I want to be a film director like Steven Spielberg. Oh, wow. And ever since then, just worked really hard to get there. And then along the way, um, specifically in college, when I had a lot of internships, it helped form where I wanted to go. And each, you know, step that I took changed a little bit to get me to where I am today. And there's something very unique about your career path, which is you've had more internships than most groups of people have had combined. (laughs) How many internships do you think that you've done? I I think it's around 12 internships. 12 internships. 
And so what are some of these internships and how did you, what was the idea behind it? Were you trying to learn as much as you could and all these different roles or how did you, how did you come across this many internships? Yes. So um, I went to NYU film school uh, undergraduate, so at Tisch, um, and I didn't have any connections. I came from a really small town in Connecticut and I knew I wanted to stay in the city after I graduated because that's where all the jobs were. And I just wanted to create a network to make sure that in four years I would have a job when I graduated in my field. So I worked really hard to try to get different internships. I, this was back in the day when you would have to go online and either mail it in, mail your resume in, or I think you could send an email. I mean, this was a while ago. And were they all unpaid internships? Or are some of them were for sure? Some of them were, you know, again, this was when internships were just starting to become something that students did. I think halfway through, you had to get credit. And that became something like you had to do it for credit. And that was the payment, which my parents weren't thrilled about. Um, you know, I'm sure they would have preferred that I had some paying job, but, you know, it was worth it. And what were some of the internships? Yes. So uh, some of the internships were at MTV's The Real World, um, NBC News, at Dateline, ABC News, uh, BBC in London, Miramax, uh, New Line Cinema, Tribeca Films, a wow. lot of internships. Yeah, and a lot of different entertainment companies. Yes. Do, they, do all of these entertainment companies, are they quite different in the way that they, you know, act and the way that they work? Are the cultures significantly different or are they all the same? I found the studios like New Line and Miramax were, were pretty similar. They were very corporate. Um, you know, a lot of the internships there were as, you know, you're in, an intern to an assistant, whereas a lot of the TV networks were very much ha more hands-on production. You know, they had to turn things around quickly, and that really is, you know, one of the steps that shaped my career and why I, when I first graduated, went more into television than into film. So that idea of being Steven Spielberg kind of, you know, it, it's not that I went to the side, but I wanted to become more of a television producer, which really was a director in that role. And how did you find these internships? I mean, you, you sent in some online applications or you mailed them in. Were there any interesting ways that you came across internships? Yes. Actually, one of my very first ones, which was at MTV's The Real World, which was filming in New York. I remember The Real World. That was a big deal when that, that came out. That was. And I used to have viewing parties in my dorm room freshman year to watch it. That's how big it was. So we're talking, you know, more of the earlier side of The Real World. Yeah, it was... It was the first reality show like well before reality shows became a big deal so it was nothing like anything else on tv at the time it totally that's exactly it. it was really revolutionary in defining you know the reality space and i will say as an intern i'll explain how i got the internship but interning on that set i mean what happened in front of the camera is what really happened it's not what we consider reality today where the you know director takes them aside and said now do this scene mm. like this uh, it really just unfolded yeah. as you would think it would. Yeah. Um, so I was a freshman. I was coming back um, from winter break, and I was waiting in line for the bathroom at a restaurant with my mom and was talking about an internship I needed for the, for the summer. I already had one for the spring, so this was for the summer. And the guy in front of me overheard and said, I'm really sorry for overhearing, but did you just move here? And I said, no, I go to school here. I go to NYU. Uh, and he said, oh, I went there. I went to the film school. And my mom's like, that's where she goes. <laughs> and he said, well, I'm the director for The Real World New York. 
we're going to be filming this season here and we're looking for interns. Are you interested? And I think my mom and I just went silent because we just couldn't believe this. Here we are waiting in line for the bathroom and, you know, he's bringing up this opportunity. And we said, yes. So uh, he's like, well, I'm going to use the bathroom. And when you're done, come up. We're sitting right by the window. Come and find me and we'll go from there. And um, I ended up becoming his intern for this show because I already had another internship lined up. So uh, I interned for him and and we're, you know, he was a great mentor and he's still someone that I um, am in touch with to this day and so thankful for that random opportunity. It is so random. You'll put on all this work and thought towards, hey, how am I going to, you know, line up this internship and you're crafting the perfect resume. And then what happens is you and your mom are talking in line to a bathroom and then the director's right there. Only in New York. Only in New York. I've heard a few of these stories happening and they feel like they're out of a movie. It feels like this is the movie version of it. Uh, but what an interesting time. We make all these little these little decisions happen to us, and it can be a, a why in the road for us. Like if you don't get that internship, maybe you end up in a completely different route of a career because you take some other internship in yeah. some other industry or something along those lines. It's amazing how it shapes where you go. Yeah. And I, I really try with um, – you know, try to mentor younger people who are interested in this field. And I say, just do internships so you can kind of get a sense of, are you into this? Are you not into this? You can see, you know, some of those entry-level positions, what it looks like to help really shape, you know, d- where you want to go and what you want to do. Yeah. And are some of these internships, I'm I'm really curious about the internship uh, space in general. I did an internship at Pressboard. We have a lot of interns from time to time. Uh, some Internships are paid, some are unpaid, depending on the school, because they often come through from the school. And I've run into, as far as your advice for people that are getting into internships, so young people, they're in school, what is the expectation? I know, and it might have changed a bit, um, but is is it like in the movies where you're just getting coffee all day, or is it a wide variety of tasks? What should your expectation be entering into the industry when you're doing an internship? I think it varies on the company where you're interning. Um, I'm sure there are still some places where it is about getting coffee or making sure there's paper in the photocopier and just answering the phones. And sometimes you can learn a lot from just doing that. And I know that because I had to do that at some of my internships. Um, so I wouldn't you know, push that aside as if, oh, you're not going to learn anything. But I do think there are ones that are like that. I think there are other ones where you know, it's going to be really hands-on where if you know how to edit and you can put together a short social video, you will edit. And, you know, just looking at what the responsibilities are will help define, you know, what you're going to be doing in that internship. If you want to be at a, you know, a big studio though, um, and you see that your job is to just answer the phones and do more of that administrative tasks, and that's where you want to go, I would say, you know, do that internship and see if it is something you're interested in. Yeah, just explore and learn from all these different places. And it's a great way to be able to get into a company that maybe you wouldn't be able to get into otherwise. Now, you didn't stay an intern forever. Right. So you started to moving into paid physicians, full-time yes. physicians. So <laughs> I know that you were at NBC News for a while. Yes. Yeah. So talk about that experience. Yeah. So NBC News, I was in um, their documentary and docuseries department, which was called Peacock Productions. And it was my second job out of college. So my first one was at a very small production company. And this was the next one. And I got this job um, through the connections I made interning. Mm. I actually stayed in touch with them afterwards and said, do you have anything? And eventually was able to get an associate producer position. 
the thing is, I don't think this was just specific to NBC News. I think there's a lot of companies that were doing this at the time and might still do it. But your first year there, you're freelance. And you sign a contract where after that first year, they either have to have headcount for you and make you a staff position, or they're going to have to let you go. And that was pretty common back in 2008, 2009 when I was working there. And my year came and went. And this was right after, you know, the big crash in 2008. So they had said, listen, we don't have any headcount. We, we're not, off, you know, ev- all of the freelancers, we're going to let them go at the end of their term. And I was so bummed because I loved what I was doing. I was, you know, shooting some of these docuseries. I was actually starting to edit some of these hour-long docuseries for MSNBC. And I just loved my role there. I loved the people. I mean, I they're some of the best people in the business. I was learning so much. And I thought, there has to be something I can do. And I took my skills, and I went home over the weekend and put together a sizzle reel on the top 10 reasons to hire me. Um, And so I put that together and outlined my 10 moments. What were some of the 10? Do you remember some of your top 10 reasons that you should be hiring Annie? One of them was my skill sets because I was able to shoot really well. I was able to do associate producer work, calling pre-interviews, and I can edit. And that was a trend at the time. They were trying to make a lot of producers these shooter, producer, editors. That was a big thing. But a lot of people, you know, it's not something you could just pick up, really. And I had the skill set thanks to my college career. And I thought, this is something where I'm, I'm – not only do I love this, but I'm saving you a lot of money because you don't need to hire an editor to, to do these hour-long shows. I right. can do this. So I definitely led with that, that I can do this and I'm saving you money. That was the key. That's a good pitch. <laughs> that, that was a good pitch. So put it together and um, I left it on the chair of our um, HR rep. Um, she, I think she was in a meeting and she was the one that I was communicating with. So I gave it to her and then she elevated it um, at one of the executive meetings um, where the VP of NBC News was there. And I got pulled into my boss's office and he said, you're never going to believe it, but they're going to create headcount for you because this is how you're, I guess you put this together and this went all the way up to the top and that's it. So you know, you have experiences like the real world, right, where it's just luck, you're in line, and it happens. And then I think there's moments like this where you just have to try to do everything you can to to make it happen. And in this case, it did work out. Obviously, sometimes it doesn't, but I'm really glad I took powers into my own hands and made it happen. Yeah, I wonder how often it is just luck or if it's perseverance. You're, I mean, you were probably in that lineup talking to your mom about this internship because you were you had so much focus on it right. for someone to overhear. Like it was obviously on your mind. And if you wouldn't have been so serious about, you know, getting some experience, you probably wouldn't have been talking about it at that point and no one would have overheard you. So definitely there's luck involved. But sometimes you create your own luck just by persevering through things. That's a really good point. I love this idea of just dropping off this. What was it like at the time with a CD or was it like a... Yes, yeah, it was a, a it was a DVD. Yeah. And I put it in a DVD case and printed out, you know, a cover for it. So it's it's like, very demo tape kind of move, right? You know, yeah, it is. I when back back in the day, um, you know, when you were applying for jobs, you actually had to show your portfolio, and you couldn't put it online. I mean, I don't. I think YouTube was just starting then, um, so I actually had a lot of these DVD cases with my reel on it to give to people. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that story. I forgot about that. That's a great story. Uh, And so let's talk about going from 
NBC, and let's fast forward and how you ended up at Apartment Therapy and the kitchen. And were you familiar with those brands already? Yes, I was big fans of both, actually. I love Apartment Therapy. I love, um, you know, interior design, decorating your home, and, um, you know, having a place to return to at the end of the day that just feels, you know, happy and healthy, really. Um, and the kitchen, yes, I love to cook. I'm not one of these, you know, I need to buy all these different kinds of spices. I just like, um, you know, very basic but yummy meals and have been, you know, using kitchen recipes before. And it was a former colleague of mine that saw the job and said, I think this is perfect for you. She sent it my way and I thought, yes, this is perfect. And um, applied, didn't hear anything. Went on LinkedIn and sent mail to the HR recruiter and said, I applied for this, love the brands, would love to come in. And then an hour later, I heard from her. So yeah, another tip on, you know, trying to um, persevere and get the job that you want. So um, yeah, and then got in. It sounds like, you know, if you've set your mind towards something, uh, you're willing to continue to pursue it, even if you have, you know, some even if it's not rejection, but almost like indifference towards towards uh, your application, uh, taking that next step. But it's it's been successful for you over time. So I think that's great advice is, you know, you might apply, but there's a lot of people applying and not someone doesn't have time to look at every single resume. So they're going to weed out people based on who takes another step. The extra effort really goes a long way. And now as someone that's hired so many people in my career, I can just tell you the ones that you could tell tailored something specific to this job that just didn't apply blankly, I'll definitely take more of it, more time to look at yeah. what they're putting forward. Yeah, if you can see that they put some effort into it. Right? Yeah. Just because there is, uh, you'll put out a job you know, description and a role, and you may get dozens of applicants, uh, sometimes less, sometimes more, but... If someone takes an extra step, it just gets them ahead of that pack. So, no, I think that's great advice. We'll be back to the episode in just a few seconds. But first, we have some exciting news for you. At Pressboard, we love stories, but we know how hard it can be to measure them. So we're here to help, whether it's a sponsored article on a news site, an Instagram post from an influencer, or a video on YouTube. Our tech measures it all. Pressboard is already trusted by Spotify, Intel, NBC Universal, Hearst, and thousands more. And here's the big news. Listeners of the podcast can try out the Pressboard platform for free. Just email info at pressboardmedia.com right now. All right, let's get back to the show. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the kitchen. The There's a specific, I, I feel like the kitchen specifically has incredible SEO. And the reason I think this is because for some reason, I can never remember how to properly season a cast iron skillet. It doesn't matter how many times I do it. And I have a kitchen version of the description of it, which is bookmarked in my phone. I've used it for sure a dozen times. And I keep going back to it, and I know it's there. I know it's from the kitchen. So am I the only person, or is that article specifically, does it continue to just get a ton of traffic to it? Yes. Do you know which one I mean? No, I know, because we also have a video in it, and it's one of our top performing videos, too. Yes. And so how does that happen? I'm curious how that happens, because this is you know, there, there's enough advice out there around how to season a cast iron skillet, but I keep coming back to that one. 
It's just wildly popular. It is. I mean, I will say we have an amazing growth team and an amazing editorial team that work incredibly well together and find, you know, how to use Google SEO to create content that we know our audience will love and use. I will say our editorial team is just amazing at just taking you through the different steps. So it's really digestible. You know, you don't, it's not very complicated. I, I, this is why I love cooking their recipes or, you know, some of these how to's like how to season a cast iron skillet. Um, they really just take you through, you know, here's A, B, and C. And so when you're done, you feel like the expert, you know, you're like, yeah. oh, I got this. Yeah, a lot of it is uh, service or utility content. So the other thing that I, the reason that I'm always attracted to the kitchen recipes is because sometimes I personally just want to do the recipe. Like I've searched for something. I want the recipe. I'm sure there's an amazing story about how this lasagna, you know, means everything to this person. But really, I'm looking for the recipe. And there's this like quick jump to recipe on the top of the kitchen things, which I use quite often. And just like that little thing that feels like it was created by someone that understands that some people are just looking to make dinner. Yes. Our editor-in-chief, Faith, is fantastic at that. I mean, she is a cook. And again, she knows what our uh, how our audience cooks as well and just wants to make it as easy as possible and as exciting as possible too. Yeah, and if you want to, you can dig into that story because people that are passionate about cooking or passionate about home decor often do like to hear the story behind things, adds more value to it, more meaning to it as well. So I think that's interesting there as well. Let's talk about how brands get involved with apartment therapy and the kitchen. So what does that look like? What are the types of brands that are most interested? I can see on the cooking side, uh, it's, it's quite easy to integrate a brand because, you know, ingredients and utensils and tools and mixers can be easily integrated into you know, cooking or food content. But what it, what are the types of brands that are most attracted to apartment therapy in the kitchen and why? Yeah, I would say, you know, a lot of um, CPG brands, of course, with the kitchen and a lot of the big box and paint companies for apartment therapy. Um, obviously, it's just a natural fit. I think at the end of the day, you know, our audience, as you were saying, it's, it's really service driven. They're looking for how can I get this done? And I think a lot of brands line up nicely with that because we're naturally using products anyway in you know, this how-to, whether it's you know, a kitchen recipe or an actual, actual how-to for your home. And so it's a nice mix between here's what our clients are hoping to achieve through our audience and the audience just wants that information. For example, if you want to paint a wall, you're still going to need paint to do it. Um, so might might as well work with a brand that, you know, that's what that's what they want their audience to use is paint. Yeah, it feels very intrinsic to what you're doing already. I find that there's a few types of content and a few brands that it just fits really seamlessly. I see it in travel content quite often too. It's really tough to talk about travel without mentioning destinations and places to go and uh, you know, accommodations to stay at. And there's a really natural, it's almost product placement, right? It's integration of the brand into the existing content that's there already. Is there uh, also affiliate opportunities that happen within that type of content? Because you are already talking about brands and, and people do need to know where to buy products. Yes, we have an amazing commerce team that again, works really closely with our editorial team and our revenue team to make sure they're integrating 
products that, again, work with our audience, but also wouldn't be taking away from a client that would prefer um, a custom campaign. Yeah. So tell me about, you know, one of your favorite campaigns from the apartment, uh, from apartment therapy or the kitchen. That's tough. We have so many campaigns that I'm so proud of and just seeing how they've developed over the years too, not just at apartment therapy, but in the industry, just where custom content is going. One of my favorite campaigns um, from the last year or so is one from Target called The Perfect Fall Day Your Way. And the reason why I really like this campaign is that it was very innovative at the time and still something that we use to this day, which is uh, a very interactive campaign. It's a choose your own adventure through video and it's shoppable as well. So the way that it starts is that there's four different videos that are basically like video gifts um, presenting four different kinds of rooms. And you have to choose which one is your style. So it's very much like a quiz. Are you this or are you that? And yeah. so you choose, it takes you down another road. Are you into this? Or are you into that, you know, a certain mood? And then it takes you into a final room. And as you're looking at the room, which is a stop motion video, and stop motion is one of our signature styles. We love mm. doing it, watching a room come together. Um, the different pieces that make up the room are shoppable. So if you click the hotspot, it'll take you right to that product on target. And I love this because um, it's something that, you know, our audience is always looking for ways to upgrade their room or change their room. So it aligns really well with our audience, but it also takes them directly to the product. Because how many times are you looking at a photo or a video and you're like, oh, where did they get that lamp or where did they get that vase? Now there's no guessing. All You could just click and it's, you know, right to that product, which is something that Target really liked as well. Well, there's a couple of things I love about that. There's this idea of personalization. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking, you know, reader or viewer first, those quizzes are super popular. Like the idea of, I know there's some funny, like the BuzzFeed ones, which are like, you know, pick these favorite desserts and we'll tell you how old you are. So great. Right? They're never <laughs> right. I do them with my kid. That's our like nighttime thing. I have a nine-year-old and we do those quizzes and they're not that accurate because they're just for fun. <laughs> I have to tell them. I'm like, this isn't this isn't AI figuring this out. This is just for fun. <laughs> but they're really popular. It's a really fun way to engage with any sort of content. So I can imagine picking the room and going down this path. And then you get to this, you know, final reveal of what this room is that you've chosen. And then giving people the ability to be able to create that immediately. So I see that that viewer benefit, the audience benefit. And it aligns really well with what Target wants, which is, you know, showing that they can meet the needs of different people mm -hmm. and that they can fulfill on that final um, aha moment that happens at the end. And this is what's been interesting to me in branded content over the last couple of years. So, you know, five, six years ago, it, there was a lot of sameness. It was, you know, banks were just getting into it and everybody was doing... 10 ways to get your first home or to move into your first home. And everybody did it. And then we just, you know, everyone ran out of those ideas. Right. And so people are getting more creative now. And I think technology is coming further too. The idea that you can shop inside of a video is, is like quite a big move over the last few years. Just that idea that now you're choosing your own room and you're buying something and it's going to be shipped to your house probably the next day. Yeah. Uh, is just an incredible start to finish. And from an advertiser perspective, there's a lot, a lot of ROI that they can see within that, a lot of signal that says that this is working or not, which takes branded content from 
this awareness only, which right. it was for a long time, top of funnel. Which is hard to measure. Really hard to really measure. Really hard to measure. Yeah. So this is like truly down funnel. It's yeah. like you can see this is how many products the audience bought or this was they at least got to this point. Yeah. And so I was going to ask, what does success look like on a campaign like that? What What is Target looking for? What does apartment therapy feel is success in a campaign like that? Yeah. So, of course, there is the brand awareness, just, you know, showing that, which I think, you know, is what a lot of the brands want. Um, but the other one is what we were just discussing, which is this down funnel and showing that, you know, people actually added this to their cart and bought it. And we can show exactly what products they were more interested in than others, which helps shapes, you know, future campaigns. If we were going to do something, we saw, wow, they're really into vases. Maybe we should do a room of plants next time and just focus on that. So it helps inform us what our audience is into. And then it helps inform the client as well, what our audience is also into. Yeah, you get this full funnel. So lots of people saw it. And then lots of people moved into consideration set. And then people put it into a cart and some people purchased it which is, uh, I think, really unique over the last few years, the ability to move all the way through that funnel. Another thing with that campaign, and, and a lot of the campaigns that we do, is, as I mentioned, one of our signature styles is stop-motion video, and I think we do an excellent job at that. And having that piece of content that then the brand can use as well on their own and operated also goes a long way. So when we talk about measuring campaigns, of course, you know, there's certain KPIs I think a lot of us share. Um, but I think there's also this added benefit, added value of then taking that piece of content and then having them run it and reaching their audiences that maybe we couldn't reach in a whole other way. Yeah, they have this creative asset that they own afterwards and that they can reuse over and over. So not only do you get you know, a media campaign or an advertising campaign out of it, but you have this uh, piece of content that you get to use over and over again in different ways. Right. Yeah, that's very unique. Uh, so what do you think the next, you know, let's say five years looks like for apartment therapy in the kitchen? Obviously, the industry is changing all the time, so it's hard to predict where things will be in five years. But just looking back over the last year or two and seeing some of the trends that are happening, I would still say for us at least, custom will be continue to be big and continue to grow and come up with more of these innovative ideas. I wouldn't say that you know um, shoppable is you know the next big thing for us. I think we'll have to keep thinking what that next big thing is. It was great when we were like, oh, we're going to do these choose your own adventure shoppable videos. That was the big thing. I want to see, you know, keep our eyes open as to what's next and try to get in on the forefront of that. I've noticed this a lot with media is with media companies is this idea of, you know, not necessarily feeling the need to know what's going to happen next, uh, not betting all, everything. We had these big moments over the last few years where it was a pivot to video and then a pivot to paid, a pivot to Facebook. And I think everybody got burnt. There was just big bets. Everybody made them. Just the whole flock went in one direction and then Facebook changed the algorithm and it really affects businesses and people. And I, I've seen over the last couple of years, I don't want to say a more conservative approach, but maybe a more intentional approach to building sustainable businesses, testing and learning, and diversifying revenue. And I think it's very healthy for the industry to move in that direction. Uh, I've also seen a lot more learning between publishers, mm. not seeing themselves directly as competitors, but thinking, hey, this is our industry. 
we need to all be sustainable businesses in it. Uh, and let's learn a little bit from each other and move forward. What yeah, do you think? I definitely agree with that. I think the fact that we're still a relatively small company has made us be a little bit more um, less of risk takers and, and more calculated with the steps we're taking. Like you were saying, everyone put their eggs in certain baskets. I don't think we actually have done that since the last four years I was there and probably before because we are small and we can't afford to just say we're going all in on this one or the other one. I think we've always been focused on diversified revenue streams, a diversified video strategy. Um, so when Facebook pulled the rug out from a lot of publishers, it really actually didn't affect us that much um, on the branded or editorial side. And I think um, since that's been our mindset for a while, it's what we'll continue to do. One of my favorite lines, though, which I heard Martha Stewart say, um, is that once you're done changing, you're done. And I think that just so simple, but so true. You just have to, you know, you have to be changing. Yeah. You can't just sit and say, oh, well, we found the magic formula. This is it. You might find a formula, um, but keep looking for that other one, too. Yeah, I think uh, that resonates well with you as a person that did 12 internships. <laughs> I think that your openness to learning and trying new things and changing is quite evident. And I think you bring a lot of that to the apartment therapy and the kitchen and the teams there. Uh, we do a book club and a movie club at Pressboard. And so I'm always looking for recommendations. I'm wondering if you have a favorite book or a favorite movie. Oh, this is so difficult. I mean, a movie, come on. Um, you know, as somebody that has always loved movies, I definitely have a few on the list. Is Spielberg, is a Spielberg directed one one of them? It is one of them. I wouldn't say it's my number one. I try to think of, you know, several that are my favorite. And yeah. that's in there, of course, Jurassic Park, right. um, because that also happened when I was 12 and my love for movies. But my favorite movie is really It's a Wonderful Life. I love this story. I, I know everyone thinks it's a holiday film or it's a very upbeat film, but it's actually a very serious film. I love how Frank Capra shot it. I love the acting. It's just, it really is one of my favorite movies. That's a great choice. Very classic. Jurassic Park and A Wonderful Life, those are quite different. They but, are. Yeah. I also like um, another one that, you know, is definitely up there is Lord of the Rings. Yeah. That's great. great what a great selection. I... Jurassic Park, there's a crossover with, so I loved Michael Crichton books when I was a mm, kid. So did I. I loved yes. all of them. And I loved every movie that Michael Crichton, they just lend themselves really well. Yes. Uh, so I fell in love with movies that were made from books. And probably f up until my late 20s, I almost exclusively watched movies wow. that were based on a book. And I would read the book usually first. And I wasn't one of those people that would say, oh, the book was better. I loved the movie as well. I just, I don't know what it was. There was something, and Michael Crichton, I still, if Michael Crichton comes out with a new book, I'll read it right now to this day. I like the science side of it. Yes. Right? So, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I like that we have that Jurassic Park crossover. That is so funny. Is there is there um, a movie that you think is better than the book? Hmm. I watch a lot of dystopian. So for a long time, I got really into dystopian books. Uh -huh. So I read, you know, 1984 and Fahrenheit 451. Yes. And I just over and over. And this was about a year of it. And they're quite dark. Definitely. So after a while, I was like, I need to break out of this for a little while. So I started watching dystopian movies. I'm like, oh, I'll just watch movies. I'll just chill, right? But I just kept watching the dystopian movies. And that's one genre where... 
sometimes the the movie it's so significantly different than the book just because of the way that your mind imagines it right uh, so I really did like um, some of these like what was it called ready player one uh, which is Spielberg, Spielberg yeah, yeah. Uh, so I really liked some of the movie versions in a completely different way than the book they just my mind didn't imagine it in that way and so I would say that that's an area where sometimes the movie I enjoyed the movie more than I enjoyed reading the book the book made me feel scared and what's going to happen whereas the movie provided more of it like an entertainment value to it right so it let me maybe extend my ability to stay in the dystopian genre longer than a year well annie thank you so much for being on the show i really loved having you here today yes thank you for having me thank you so much for tuning into the science of storytelling don't forget to leave us a comment we love hearing from you we have a ton more episodes coming up this season with some absolutely amazing guests so make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single one. See you next time.